Hi, good morning. Uh, we're going to dive into our series that we've been working through the last couple of weeks uh, called Life Together as we've been looking at the book of Philippians and working our way through that verse by verse. But before we do that, I wanted to simply address uh, uh, some of the things that are happening in our world right now. I think it's important that we do that as a community. Uh, if you're anything like me, uh, your eyes have been glued to the news feed, uh, to pictures of, of um, the, the significant civil unrest, riots, looting, violence, protesting, all those things that are happening in many of the major cities in the United States as a response to the uh, incredible racism that the black community has experienced uh, for, for, well, hundreds of years. Uh, and, and while uh, George Floyd's death in Minneapolis has kind of been the, the, the tipping point for that, we know that there's a whole bunch of other names that matter. People like Breonna Taylor, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, uh, Christian Cooper, all people who have suffered incredible injustice. Many of those people just listed who died unjustly um, at the hands of either police or other people acting with racist intentions. And it, part of me doesn't want to have to talk about this because I know that there's, I'm bound to say something wrong. Uh, but, but the even greater fear of me, for me is that we don't talk about this. The greatest sin would just be to stand back and say nothing as we see what's happening and to not respond in prayer. Uh, we worship a God who is passionate about justice who looks at the systemic racism and oppression that continues to happen in America and in the whole world, and who's angered by it. Uh, verses from the prophet Amos came to mind for me these last couple days, uh, where, where he talks about looking at the people of Israel, and, and he sees all of their religious behavior, and it just annoys him and infuriates him. And he concludes by saying, let justice roll down like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, he calls them out on their hypocrisy because he says this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Other translations put it, the most important parts of the law. And these are what he lists, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, for us as Canadians, uh, it's easy for us to look down and go, that's their problem. But, but we've been all too aware that, that prejudice, racism, systemic injustice is not just an issue that Americans have to deal with, but it's part of our history and our story too. And so even uh, in the last couple of days, we've seen the, the various different protests and marches to, to raise awareness for um, injustice that the black community has experienced and other minority communities have experienced and raising attention towards the indigenous communities and the First Nations. Uh, we've been hearing about Muskrat Dam and the incredible things that have happened, incredibly difficult and horrible things that have happened there and for many of us, we don't think, oh, well, I'm not ra we don't think of ourselves as being racist. And yet I know in my own heart, sometimes I can be incredibly indifferent to the sufferings of communities and people who maybe don't look like me or don't grow up in the same sort of environment that I do. Now, we're a diverse community. There's lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds. And we know that some of you have important and different stories. 
And so for us as a church in this season, I simply want to say this, that we are listening. If you have something to say, if you have a story to share, if, if you've walked through these difficulties, we're listening. A few months ago, uh, after Paul returned uh, from with a missions team down to Muskrat Dam, Paul Miller, our, our one of our pastors here on staff, he 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 kind of shared what what do you want what message do you want to take back to Forest View? And he asked the people at Muskrat Dam, and, and their response was simply this: "Don't forget about us." And so, as we look at the suffering, as we look at the anger, we look at the fear. Uh, we look at the injustice, uh, we look at the violence, and we see all of that, and we want to speak to those of you who have been marginalized, who have been, been ignored, who have been treated like your lives don't matter, and we want to say this, we are listening, both as individuals and as a community. And we pray for peace, but we also pray for justice because peace without justice is no peace at all. And so before we dive into our text this morning, I just simply wanted to say that and I want to pray. Um, and so would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you and we praise you for the gift of life. And we thank you for your good creation. Uh, and yet, as we look around at the world and we see the brokenness, we see the despair, we see the injustice, we see racism. Lord God, we know that that is so far from your heart and your intent for it all. Uh, we pray that for us as a church community, uh, we would be a place where all races, all backgrounds are welcomed and celebrated because we are united by so much more than those things. We are united by the blood of Jesus Christ who has made us one family. Heavenly Father, for those of us who are indifferent to the suffering of others, for those of us that are compassionists run dry, uh, uh, for those of us who, who just don't care, uh, Lord, I pray that you would stir up within us a passion for justice and that you would stir up within us a deeper sense of compassion for those who are suffering. Would you help us to listen? And would you help us to act in ways that are in line with your love? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as I said just earlier, we are working our way through the book of Philippians in their series, Life Together. And this morning, we're getting to dive into a prayer that Paul prays for the Philippian community. And so I'm just going to dive into the text. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. So I want to read this to you right now. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may able to that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God 
Now, now a few obvious things that I just want to point out and identify, but I think they're significant, and they might seem redundant, but I, but I want to say this. First off, this is a prayer that Paul prays for the Philippian church, and that leads us to, a, again, a redundant point, but a significant one, that Paul actually prays for the Philippians. I mean, these are people who are on his heart. And they're not just some group in a city far, far away doing their own thing. He actually sees them as having this joint ministry together. Early on in the letter, Paul uses this word. We've talked about it multiple times. I'm going to talk about it again here because it's important. It is this word koinia. It's about this shared life together. Often it was the idea of fellowship, uh, of kind of this intimacy. And sometimes it was actually used in the sense of, of going into business together. And Paul actually seems to kind of use this language. He talks about him and the Philippians being in the gospel business together. Now for us, often uh, we, we think about businesses. You go and you work at a job, then you go maybe work at another job. Uh, but, but for Paul, this is about, hey, I've invested. We've put all of it into this. And so we are in this together through thick and thin. It doesn't matter. Your successes are my successes. Your struggles are my struggles. We are in this together. And so Paul, as he prays, this is a prayer because he says, no, this, you and I, we're in this. We're in this together. Now, another point that I think is really significant that is highlighted here, and again, it's easy to miss, but I just think this is really meaningful, is, is Paul prays for the Philippian church, but he also, it's, um, but also, um, it's interesting what he doesn't pray for the Philippian church. Now, if you were to go through and do an inventory of what do your prayers look like, maybe you write them down, maybe you say them out loud, you were to go through what are the things that you are typically talking to God about, asking God about. And I know in my life, it's usually about a desire for healing for people or, or to walk through peop with people through difficult times to kind of lead them out of it and deliverance for them. And, and this is a really good and important thing. It's not bad, but it's fascinating that this is not the primary prayer that Paul feels placed on his heart that he needs to share with this community. Rather for him, there's something else. This is something richer. And we're going to begin to break that down, the significance of what Paul says here. So here's what he says. He says, Paul, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now, often when we think about love, usually we think about it as romantic love. And the thing about romantic love, especially in the first couple months, maybe years of that romantic love, is that I've learned this. I've spent a number of times, uh, last 10 years, working with high school students and with, um, and with young adults. And one of the things that I've learned is that falling in love makes you really dumb. Uh, and it's okay. This is not a knock on any of you, but it's just all of your priorities go out the window. Suddenly it's like, oh, I have a paper, but I could hang out with her. Who cares? I'm going to go do that. I mean, this, this is what happens when you fall in love. Um, and it makes you completely useless to everyone except for that person you have that love towards. And, and in some ways it's beautiful and in some ways it's annoying. It's generally really entertaining if you can just sit back and watch it, which as a youth and young adults pastor for 10 years, it was a great thing to do. But, but the thing that is so interesting about Paul is that he talks about love, but it is not this, this kind of fog of irrationality that falls over you. For Paul, I mean, love is something that brings clarity 
and focus. Now, the kind of love he's talking about, the, the language of abound and uh, more and more, it's almost this image of a cup being filled up, overflowing with the liquid that you're pouring into it. And so Paul, he's saying, I want to see God's love in your life just overflowing, like more than you ever planned on. And he says that that love as it's overflowing in your life is that it's going to bring knowledge and depth of insight. Now, the word for knowledge is not the head kind of knowledge that we often think about in our culture, right? You go to school, you read a book, you become, you watch a video on YouTube, you become informed about this thing, and that's how we usually think about knowledge. But, but for Paul, this kind of knowledge is so much richer and deeper. This is about an experiential kind of knowledge. This is the kind of knowledge that only comes when you've actually gone through something, as you've shared something with someone else. I remember an interesting moment where I saw this in, in full spin. Uh, I, I was in seminary and our, we had a prof and one of the things that he made us every person in the class do was a really easy assignment, um, but throughout the term you had to go and research a different Christian figure in some sort of field, whether it be science or the humanitarian, something like that. And you had to give a brief presentation on that person to the class. It was, about, so it was supposed to be about two minutes long. And this woman got up and began to talk about this particular individual, this man who had started up this incredible humanitarian effort in the world. And it's had a huge impact. And so she's talking about him. She's listing off all this information that she knows about this person. And this amazing moment happened at the end of her presentation, the prof went up and he got up and he shared and he said, you know, when I was, I got a scholarship at this one particular time and I was traveling over to this other country and there was another person who got this same scholarship and we were traveling over and we got into this conversation. And, and then he said, as they were talking, um, this prof who was a Christian, he began to talk about his faith with this other person. And this other person was not a Christian. And so they went to this other place and he actually helped lead this person to Christ in their friendship, the relationship that they developed. And they still stay in touch. And this was the same person that this person had just done a presentation on. Now, the person who did the presentation, she knew all sorts of knowledge about this person, what this person is like, what they'd done, their history. But by my prof, I mean, he just had this deeper, intimate, he'd been there for long, difficult conversations. He'd been there walking through this person as this person came to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He'd, he continues to stay in touch with this person. So he laughed when he's just getting up there and saying, yes, everything you said is true. And I just want to reaffirm he is just an incredible person and seeing God work in this person's life. That there is a certain kind of head knowledge that we can have, but, but this is about more than that. This is about an experiential relationship rooted knowledge. Now, the other word that Paul uses there, we translate it as depth of insight. It's like moral perception. It's about being able to figure out what's right and what's wrong. And so for Paul, this love that should be overflowing in our lives, that this love that he prays he would see in the community of the Philippians is something that brings clarity and focus. And then he goes on to say this in verse 10, so he says this, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. For Paul, this love leads to clarity, to focus, and ultimately to discernment. Now, when we think about the word discern, uh, Paul here is using it in the context of putting things or being able to put things to the test, to know what really matters. Sometimes the way that we translate the word is to approve something. 
And so for Paul, he's saying this love in your life, it should be helping you discern. It should be helping you put things to the test to figure out what really matters and what doesn't. And Paul says that as you are discerning in your life, as you are approving of the right things, of of focusing and placing your value on those things, he says that, that you're going to enter into what is best. Or maybe you could translate it as what is exceptional. There's a quote that I came across a number of years ago. I don't know where it came from, but it sat with me in a lot of different ways. And so I just want to share it with you because I think it's relevant to what we're talking about. It simply says this, the greatest threat to the best isn't the bad, it's the good enough. How often have we seen that? Maybe it's a, a, an athlete or, or maybe it's some sort of company that's producing some sort of product. Or, or maybe some sort of creative person, an artist or a musician. And, and they want to be exceptional. They want to be the best. Uh, but the greatest challenge that they face is not like that. what they're going to be doing is suddenly going to start to become terrible or bad. Rather, the, the, the greatest thing that they are going to face, if they want to be the best, they want to be exceptional, is that do they just settle for, ah, that's good enough. It's okay, we'll just, we'll just, hey, Put it in the box, ship it, sell it. Yeah, we're just going to release that album. We're just going to, uh, I'm just going to accept that, hey, no, I'm, I'm content with where I'm at. There is a, a brilliant Christian philosopher. His name was Soren Kierkegaard, and he has this incredible quote. And it says this, to be a saint is to will the one thing. Now, now f- what Soren Kierkegaard is saying, first off, he's using saint in the general sense. Anyone who has responded to Jesus in faith, anyone who says, Jesus, I want to be your apprentice. I want to live the life that you call me to live. He says, anyone who's done that, who's set their lives apart and embraced this holy calling that God has placed on them, says when you do that, it's, it's, your, it's essentially you live with this incredible tunnel vision or, or maybe a better way, this discerning spirit to say, hey, what really matters and what doesn't? I am not going to settle. I'm always going to strive for the best. And this is not a critique of your workout routine or, or your different hobbies. And then this is about, no, 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 this is about the bigger questions in life. This is about what do you stand for? This is about what kind of person do you want to be? What, when people talk about you, what, what are the things that you want them to say about you? It's really hard to be focused. It's really hard to live your life and not want to be pulled in all sorts of different directions. But, but to be a saint and to will the one thing, as Soren Kierkegaard puts it, it's to have an overarching vision or mission that shapes the rest of your life. It becomes the standard that everything else needs to fit in or it doesn't make the cut. I love this quote from writer, theologian Henry Now, and he says this, I want to be a great saint, but I also want to experience all the sensations that sinners have. I want to spend long hours in prayer, but I don't want to miss anything on television. And I want to live in radical simplicity, but I also want to have a comfortable apartment the freedom to travel, and all the things I need to be a professional scholar and writer. I think Henry Nouwen captures this tension that we all live with and this terrible temptation that we all have to simply 
settle. So often we sacrifice the best that God has for each and every one of us because we want to have it all. Let's go back to Philippians verse 10. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. If we're talking about what is the test, or what is the standard that you hold everything else up against, for Paul, it's about this thing he calls the day of Christ, the day of Christ Jesus. This is the moment where Christ will return and make everything right. The world will be set as it is supposed to be. And often when Paul talks about this time, he, this day, he talks about an event where, where suddenly everything is brought into the light. All of our motives, all of our hidden agendas, they all get brought into the light and exposed for what they are. Uh, when we get read those words that Paul talks about, about being pure and blameless, it's easy for us to read that and to hear it like a, a list of, well, you did or you didn't sin. It's kind of like your sin resume. It's like, oh, you don't want to cheat and steal and go to certain internet websites. And those are important things. But Paul actually has a bigger picture in mind when he's talking about this. Because for Paul, what it means to be pure, when he uses this term, it's about what are your motivations? He says, do you have mixed motivations? Are you working out of, are you living out of a secret, hidden, selfish agenda? And Paul's saying as his love overflows more and more and as it causes you to discern and as you live in tune with this day that is coming when things are going to be made right and everything's going to be exposed for what it is, I want you, when you are exposed, when it's revealed what's really going on in your heart, that, that, that you were focused. You are of a singular mind. The other word there he uses is blameless. Uh, and uh, it's usually a word that, or it's a word that he uses in the context of causing other people to stumble. And so for Paul, it's like when you look or when you share your lives, as people see who you are, does it reflect accurately who God is, what God cares about? Pa Paul continues then. Uh, actually, maybe I'll just say this. Paul lives his life with the day of Christ always at the forefront of his mind. Is this worth doing? I don't know. Is it in line with the day of Christ? Uh, should I invest in this? Should I give my time to this thing? And for Paul, yeah, uh, well, it depends. Is that something that's going to be around on the day of Christ? Is that something that's flowing out of a pure motive? Is that something that's going to, to help other people have a clearer picture of who God really is? Well, then yes, amazing. I will pour myself into that. I will invest into that. I will give everything to that. If it doesn't, it doesn't make the cut. Paul concludes his prayer saying this in verse 11. He says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so he says, the things that you want to be investing in now, the things that you want to be giving your time to, your money to, your energy, your passion, your imagination to, that those are the things that are going to produce the fruit of righteousness, which is like just a cool way of talking about Christ being at work in our lives and the things that have eternal value, seeing those grow and develop in who we are. And the amazing thing is, is that as people see that in us, God gets the glory for it.
So this brings us to a bigger question because Paul, I mean, I'm constantly blown away at his incredible just focus. And, and sometimes I read through it and I almost go, is this even possible to live today? And so I, I want to end off with this. I want to end off with maybe a question, not maybe, I want to end off with this question. I think it's going to be helpful for us as we try to, how do we be people who live with this kind of love-driven discernment? How do we live the radical way of Jesus? Because so often we inherit and simply just, just take on the assumptions, whether it be of our family, of our social groups, of our culture. How do we actually live the life and know the things that matter and the things that don't? Because I often find when left to my own devices, I will justify whatever comes most naturally to me in my life. So how do we figure this out? And there was a podcast I was listening to a couple months ago by a guy, uh, guy named Seth Godin. He has a podcast called Akimbo. Seth Godin is a uh, really creative person when it comes to branding and marketing and all those sorts of things. It's, it's not a Christian but, but uh, this particular podcast, he does a Q&A at the end. And this person uh, called in from the UK and he had this great question. And this, here was his question. Essentially, he said uh, his son was about to graduate and uh, from, I guess, kind of the equivalent of grade eight in going into high school. And the, the, the cultural trend there at that time, and probably still, is that when you make that transition to high school, you buy your son or daughter who's making that transition a cell phone. That's when they get one. And this particular dad, he's kind of struggling with this. And he actually said this. He said, I really struggle with this because I feel like I'm essentially almost like I read about the impact that technology is having on kids and cell phones and the dangers that come with it. And he's like, I feel like I'm just handing my son a pack of cigarettes. What should I do? And Seth Godin had this amazing response. He, he simply said this. He said, for you, you need to ask the question, what is parenting for? He said, because if parenting is about just trying to make kids who grow up to be just like everybody else, then by all means, go buy the cell phone for your son. But he says, but if parenting is about helping nurture and shape that child to grow and to be a force of creativity and healing and innovation in the world, well, you might need to do something very different. Now, this is not a knock at whether or not grade eight kids should or shouldn't have phones. I, I'm, I don't have a horse in that race yet. Uh, but, but what I would say is this, that question is so important. We need to be asking ourselves that. What is this for? The sports team, the, the, the subscription to the streaming service, the, the, the things that are consuming so much of our time and energy, what is it for? Is it stirring up within us the fruits of righteousness? Is it making us more like Christ? Is, is God being glorified through our participation? In a, is, is it an avenue for us to express God's incredible overflowing love? Or is this just simply a cultural assumption that we just have gone along with and just accepted? I had an interesting experience a couple days ago and really challenged me to have to ask, what is this for? 
um, because I think it can be about what your schedule looks like. I think it can be about what your spending habits look like, but I also can think it just can be about some of your behavior and the way that you're interacting with people. We were doing, my family, uh, actually my wife wasn't there, but my kids were there uh, and we were doing, my son is seven years old. My daughter is four years old. And so we were doing a Zoom call with someone else. And uh, it was in the later evening, it was just before bedtime. And my kids, it was like they were possessed by the hyperactive spirits of squirrels. Okay. I don't know how else to describe it. Like just kind of going at each other and, um, and they were playing and it was like, they were doing that weird switch back and forth. You know, they're playing and it's funny. And then they're like kind of getting into fights with each other. And they're just being, for me in that particular moment, I was finding it really challenging and I was getting really, really frustrated. And I was losing my temper and, I, and again, I'm on Zoom and I'm talking to this person and it's just like, you're trying to like yell at your kids, like mute, unmute, and like, like all that kind of stuff. And, um, and so anyways, eventually we finish and the kids go to bed and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I was talking with my wife just a few days later and we were kind of debriefing it a little bit. And I just started to realize like, why, why did I have that response? Why did I care so much? that my kids be behaving and sit there like good kids and talk to the person they're supposed to be talking to. And the truth is, is because I cared about how that other person saw me and saw our family. I wanted them to see me as a good dad who could maintain order. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about, hey, how is this experience happening for them? Are they tired? Are they hungry? Are they, is, where are their heads at? For me, the most important thing was, hey, how am I appearing in this situation? If you were to ask me why I was getting angry and frustrated with my kids, what was that for? Well, it was because I wanted to hold up some sort of picture of who I am to those other people I, were I was talking with. I think an important question that all of us need to wrestle with it might be about what your shopping list looks like. It might be about what your wish list. It might be about the renovations you're thinking about doing on your house. It might be about the new wardrobe you're thinking about buying. It might be about the friendships or the things that you're going to be investing your time in. What is this for? We live at a really interesting time uh, as things are now starting to reopen. And we, we've just come out of this place where like kind of our, all of our schedules, all of our slates just got totally cleaned. Okay, for at least for many of us. And in this moment of significant change and upheaval in our lives, we are now going to enter into a phase where we start to put things back, where we start to refill that schedule, where we start to spend money on certain things again as stores open up or as delivery services become more available. And the question I think that we all need to ask ourselves right now is, are we going to simply go back to the way things were? Or are we going to use this moment to discern God's best for our lives? And so my invitation for you as we enter into this season is to pray this prayer. Pray for yourself. Pray for others. Share this with people in your life who are encouraging you and inspiring you in your faith. And let's make the top priority for all of us is not, hey, God, can you get me out of all my problems? Or can you solve this issue for me? But instead, God, would you give me a love that helps me discern and navigate things? Because I don't want to settle for good enough. God, I want the best 
that you have for me. We're going to transition now to a time of communion. So if you have the bread, you have the drink, I'd encourage you to come and get it. This is a, a, a significant meal that Christians have partake, shared together uh, since the very beginning. Uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He gathered with his disciples. He broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. And then he took the drink. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Would you know that God's incredible love and grace is so much greater than your failures? And would you know that his sacrifice is the source of life for all of us? And would you become more and more aware of this love that is so much greater than you could have ever imagined? So what I invite you to do is just take a few seconds. We're just going to sit quietly and reflect on the de de life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and this new best kind of life, the exceptional kind of life that he invites all of us in. And would you take this time to examine your own heart? Are there motives? Are there things in your life that are, have pulled you off course and distracted you? And as you eat, and as you drink, would you be reminded of God's incredible forgiveness and his spirit that is in work, is at work in you, making you more like Jesus. And that in the midst of a broken world, we can look forward to the day when Christ will return and make everything as it should be. Let's sit quietly for a few seconds. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, for his life, for his death, for his resurrection. Thank you that you have not given up on us, forsaken us, and abandoned us. And we eat and drink in anticipation of the kingdom that is to come, that day of Christ that we all look forward to. Amen.